Take your Bibles and turn to the book of Romans chapter 3. And uh, it's always good to have visitors with us, and it's good to have our Awana missionary and uh, his wife with us today, Lanty and Tammy Moss. Uh, welcome to our service. We're, they live right here in Elizabethtown, and they just stopped in to give us a visit today. So always a privilege to have a missionary stop in and uh, visit with us. So it's good to have you, uh, Lanty and Tammy, with us today. Many years ago, there was a famous article in the Times, the New York Times, and simply it was titled this, What is Wrong with the World Today? And this was written way back in the 50s. And there was one response to that article by a pastor, and that pastor is uh, G.K. Chesterton, and uh, he simply wrote this. There he said, Dear Sir... I am yours faithfully, G.K. Chesterton. The devastating declaration showed a profound insight into man's universal malice, and I believe that it can teach us a deeply challenging lesson. I am convinced that throughout the Christian church, there are problems, difficulties, and frustrations that would begin to dissolve immediately. If only some Christians would be honest enough to answer the question, what's wrong? I am. And I'll say, I am. I'm proud. I'm boastful. And I won't even begin to go down the list of things I struggle with. I'm the problem. And this morning, that's what Paul's trying to get us to see here in Romans chapter 3. We have been on a journey, and we're on a long journey through the book of Romans. It'll take us I don't know how long. And, uh, but we're on this journey together, and we've been looking at it, and, and for, <clears throat> except for that break at Christmas, we have given you some pretty discouraging news. We've been talking a lot about sin, and we're not ashamed. Uh, we're not going to sidestep sin in this church. We're always going to deal with it. And uh, we've been preaching hard about sin, and the good news is today is the last message that Paul deals with sin, and he's going to give you next week, and, or in two weeks, Pastor John will pick up and give you the good news, what Jesus Christ did to deal with this problem that we've been talking about for so long and that Paul's been dwelling on. And we reminded you that Paul has sort of set up, if you would, a courtroom scene. As God is the judge, Paul is the prosecuting attorney, and the human race, you and me, are in the defense. We are sitting in that defense chair. We are the defendants. And so far in Romans, we looked through Paul that the human race presented by, first of all, in chapter 1, the heathen lost. Paul said the heathen, they know God, but they refuse to honor him. They're not thankful. They're foolish. Their mind is darkened. And we looked at all those things about the human, uh, the heathen lost. And we told you that Paul called two witnesses to the stand. He called creation to the stand, and he called conscience. And he said because of creation and because of conscience... Even the heathen is condemned to die and spend eternity separated from God. We then talked about the moral man when Paul moved into chapter 2, verses 1 through 16. And the moral man simply said, listen, I'm a good person. I even can judge others because I'm so good. 
But Paul argued and said, listen, you are still a sinner. And then we looked at the religious person in chapter 2, up through chapter 3 last week, represented by the Jewish person. Remember, the Jewish person said, you know what? You can't condemn me. I've been circumcised. I obey the law. I was born a Jew. You have no right to condemn me. And then last week, we looked at those arguments that the Jew brought forth. Are brought forth, and he said, My sin, you can't judge me because of my sin, it promotes the righteousness of God. Who's God to judge me if my sin makes him look more righteous? And we got to the end point last, last week that said, You know what? It's okay to sin. The end justifies the means. And we talked about even that in our small groups this week. And so that brings us to where we are today to finally to see. The whole world, the whole world. Today, we're going to see in the courtroom, we're going to see the arraignment, we're going to see the indictment, we're going to see the defense, and we're going to see the verdict. Because now, Paul said, listen, I'm going to put the whole world on trial. And so, read with me, if you would, this morning. Look as I read Romans chapter 3, verse 9 through 20. What then? Are we Jews any better off? No, not at all. For you have already charged that all, both Jews and Greeks, are under sin as it is written. None is righteous, no, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. For God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Their throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive. The venom of asps is under their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. In their paths are ruins and misery. And in the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be stopped, and the whole world may be held accountable to God. For by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight, since through the law comes the knowledge of sin. Let's pray, and then we're going to look at this text this morning. Father, we come this morning thanking you for the privilege to be able to come together as a church family and be able to sing praises and to worship you this morning, to be able to open the word of God and to be able to uh, expound on your precious word. Father, we think of those this week uh, who were in the hospital and praise you that they're home. Thank you for uh, Dane Kelly and, and that he was in and, and for such a short time and pray you continue to, to help him. And Lord, for Sam Parrott who went through a difficult time and Lord is, is recuperating over at Masonic and may you uh, help Sam to be able to regain his strength. Father, thank you for Nancy and uh, Nancy Schaub and uh, Lord, for them being able to take care of that physical difficulty that she dealt with this week. And um, Lord, we pray uh, as she needs to gain her strength that this week she could, Father, as she rests and uh, stays at home. And Lord, that she might be able to gain her strength from the loss of blood that she had this week from the ulcer. So Lord, we just pray for each of those and the physical needs. And Lord, then certainly the, the spiritual needs that are here. I know the spiritual needs in my own life, 
the spiritual needs that are represented by your children that sit here are so many today. And so use your precious word to encourage us, to challenge us, to speak to us today as we open it. May your precious Holy Spirit that indwells us today challenge us through your word. May your Holy Spirit convict those that might sit here today and are not sure of an eternal home in heaven. And Father, that before they leave this church building today, today, may they have a personal relationship with Christ and may they know for sure that they are on their way to heaven to spend eternity with you. So God, do a work today through your word. It's in the name of Christ we pray. Amen. Well, as we begin this today, we look at the arraignment, and that is in verse 9. And Paul starts verse 9 by saying, what then? And those two little words are really referring back to everything that Pastor John and myself have shared with you through what Paul has written here in Romans thus far. He said, I've showed you, I've showed you the heathen is lost, the moral man is lost, the religion man is lost. What then? What else is there? What else is there? And he says here, are we Jews any better off? No, not at all. For we are all charged. We are all charged with sin. He says we are all, if you look in the end of that verse, we are all under sin. He's saying I've proved this already. That's for the reason what then? I've already proved this, but I'm going to go on. Because I still think maybe you have a question there, Jew or moral person or heathen person, that you might be good enough to make it into heaven. And Paul said, listen, I really shouldn't have to do this, but I'm going to go into it, and I'm going to give you some reasons in case you think that you're good enough to make it into heaven. And so he says, um, we are all under sin. We are all under sin. This is the arraignment here. He says, when he says we're under sin, he's really talking about, listen, we are under the guilt of sin. We are under the power of sin. We are under the doom of sin. We are under the destruction of sin. All of sin's weight lays upon the human race. When we're born into this world, we are born sinners, separated from God, condemned, and on our way to hell. And he says, that's the arraignment. Here's the indictment. And he's going to give you, when you go to get involved in court, you're going to realize that in an indictment, an indictment is written charges. And you'll notice here, he says at the end of, and as he goes into verse 10, you'll notice he says, as it is written. Just like in a formal court, the the, uh, um, indictment is written out. We're this morning going to see the indictment, which is the charges that have been brought against us as the human race. And so we want to go through those this morning and look at that. Look at the very first one in verse 10. He says, there is none righteous, no, not one. How many are righteous? What does he say? Tell me. How many? Is that any of us in here are righteous? No, we are born unrighteous, separated from God. Just the other uh, last week when we were in Texas, I got to lay down with my grandson one day to put him to bed. He's two years old. Basically, you know, you look at him, he's a pretty good kid. Um, And we were laying there in bed, and I was trying to get him to sleep at noon. You know, I was doing a good job of going to sleep. He was struggling. But I was trying to get him to sleep, and I thought he was asleep. And all of a sudden, he just took his fist and hit me in the head. 
Now, I can understand his dad saying, your granddad's an Eagles fan, hit him when you get a chance. But I don't think that's why he did it. I really believe he did it because he's a little sinner. I didn't do anything to him, but he did. He just hauled off and hit me in the head. And I thought to myself, yeah, he is a little sinner. And even that little granddaughter of mine holding her, she's still a sinner because you know what? She cries when you don't pay attention to her. She wants her own way. It doesn't take long to see the sinful nature that we all have, does it? And Paul says, there is none of us that are righteous. There is no one. He's going to tell us, and Pastor John's going to show you when we get to Romans 3.23. For some people have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Thank you. How many? All, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. We are all sinners. And you know what Paul's doing here is he's going through here. He's taking you back to Old Testament scripture. That's one of the reasons it says it is written. All of these things are not new. All of these things have already been written in the Old Testament. And, and he tells you that. And you'll see on, on the screen here, this one comes from Psalm 14.1. Basically says the same thing. And so Paul says these things have already been written. I'm already telling you what you're accused of. I'm just reminding you again of these things. you notice the next one. He says, no one understands. How many people understand? No one. No one understands. Man has a lot of knowledge today. I'm always amazed at the cell phone and where we've come with our cell You know, everything that you need. My wife and I, the other day, we were walking through the mall. We usually get a Civil War calendar, and we didn't get one this year. And and uh, I said, should we, st- should we order one? And she said, no, why, why do we even need a calendar? We have one where? On our phone. Everything I need is on my phone. It's amazing what that little thing does. But we have all this knowledge. We've been to the moon, you know. But God isn't talking here about the natural things. He is talking about spiritual things. He said, listen, no one really understands. Nobody really understands God. Go back to chapter 1 of Romans, and he's already established that fact. He said, man suppresses the truth of God. Man doesn't really want the truth of God. I think a great illustration of that happened up in Canada um, quite a few years ago. It's a fascinating story. It was in the Toronto newspaper, and it was about a duck. And this duck's name was Ringo. And uh, Ringo the duck was somehow got a tab, a tab off of a soda can stuck on his beak. And he couldn't do anything. He couldn't eat, couldn't quack, couldn't do anything. Well, people got really concerned about this duck. And so uh, they came in, they tried to do everything they could to catch him, and he, he was just so evasive. They even brought in a professional duck caller. You know, if it would have been today, Duck Dynasty would have been up there, I'm sure. But even the professional duck caller couldn't get this duck to come. Unfortunately, the frightened Ringo mistook all the efforts to help her as being threats. The rescuers lost sight of her and never did catch her. It's not known if Ringo eventually dislodged the pull tab before she died. It's a great illustration, though. The help was there, but she didn't take it. See, being fallen and condemned man, trapped in his own sin, is similar and confused because he sees it as a threat to his lifestyle rather than an eternal blessing 
he makes every effort to escape the gospel. That's what he does. Those were there to help that duck. And God is here to give us. But what does man do? He suppresses the truth. If I become a Christian, it's going to stunt my lifestyle. It's going to hem me in on what I can do. And so man, what? Rejects. Because he really doesn't understand. Look at the next charge. Verse 11, he says, no one seeks God. It's from Psalms 14 too. Look at all the religions in the world. We would say man is seeking God. Look at all the religion. Wrong. Religion is really running from the true God. The Bible says none are really seeking God. In fact, the Bible tells us in John 6, 37, no one can come to me, Jesus goes on to say, unless the Father who sent me draws him. The only person there who, therefore, who seeks God is the person who is responding positively to God's seeking him. Listen, we're born into this world sinners, and the Bible says we are what? Dead in our trespasses and sin. A dead man doesn't do anything. The only way a dead man can be made alive is through the quickening of the Spirit of God that draws you to himself. The reason we choose to come to God is because he puts that within us. He draws us to himself. Why? Because we're not seeking after God. And Scripture over and over tells us that. No one seeks for God unless God is drawing. The next, look at the next one, verse 12. All have turned aside. Turned aside comes from Psalms 14.3. And this is really the picture of a caravan crossing the desert. And that caravan starts out, and uh, it gets turned, and it ends up going the wrong direction. And uh, we've deviated from the way of God. That's what he's saying. All man has deviated from the way of God. And it goes all the way back to Genesis, Genesis chapter 3, when Adam and Eve chose. God placed them in the garden. He gave them a choice. And he said, this is the path of righteousness I want you to take. But what did they do? They turned aside. They deviated from the way God had wanted them to go, and they chose to sin. And because of that, for one man's sin, all men have become sinners. It tells us later in the book of Romans. So he says, we have turned aside. We have gotten off course. Not only does he say, but look at the next word that he says. All have become what? Worthless. Worthless. Interesting word here. It's really speaking of milk that has gone sour. God didn't originally make us this way, but we've what? Again, Adam and Eve, we've turned sour. When you first get your milk, it's pure, it's whole, it's good. But later, it, what? It spoils and becomes sour. And he says, man is sour milk. He's worthless. And then he says, so first of all, we have the character of the accused. That's what we've just sort of looked at, our character. And now he gives you the conversation of the accused. So that first part is really our character. The second part is our conversation. Look what he says about, and he sort of reiterates before he gets to verse 13, no one does good, not even one. So he keeps going back to that premise um, 
Look at verse 13. Here's our conversation. Their throat is an open sepulcher or an open grave. And that comes from Psalms chapter 5, verse 9. Their throat is an open sepulcher. What's an open sepulcher? In the east, uh, in biblical times, sometimes they would leave, uh, they would put bodies in the ground and they would leave the graves open. It would be a dangerous situation because you could be walking through the middle of the night and you could fall into a graveyard and you'd be laying by a stinking, spoiling, uh, decaying body. And he said, the reality of our throats, what comes from out of our throats, up through our tongue, is like a graveyard, an open grave with bodies that are deteriorating and stinking. So listen, when he's talking about no man's good, he's saying, listen, even to the core, James deals with it when he talks about, you know, our tongue, what can defile ourselves and other people is our tongue. In reality, uh, our throat is an open sepulcher. It stinks. It's a stench emanating a decaying body. It gives expression of the vilest and most loathsome thoughts. And then he, he talks about the next. Not only is your throat an open grave or an open sepulcher, he says, they use their tongues to deceive. They use their tongues to deceive. Their tongues are filled with deceit. They may speak nicely to you at the same time. They're intending to do, insult you with deadly poison. So the, the tongue, it's deceitful. And then he even gives you an illustration from nature. He said, the venom of asps is under their lips. The next one is he talks about our lips. And the poison of an asp is under the lips. The poison of that asp was stored in a bag underneath of that snake's lips, our lips. And uh, like this deadly poison is human speech. Again, James says about the tongue, who can what? Tame it. No one can tame it. It's destructive like a fire, James says. And then he says, look what else he says about it in the next indictment here he says their mouth is full of curses and bitterness curses and bitterness carrying the idea of an intense desire for the worst of making the desire thinking bad about somebody and then making it public using your mouth to criticize and for defamation that's really what this is saying when you turn around and you speak about evil to some, about someone to someone else, this is what this verse is pic picturing. It's not necessarily picturing like cursing like we think of cursing. It's picturing really cursing someone else by defaming them, by tearing them down. And how many of, have done, how many of us have done that? How many are guilty of saying negative things about others? And then he moves and shares a, a few other things about us. And he gets down to uh, verse 15. Look, he says, their feet are swift to shed blood. I was thinking how, boy, this as I was studying this this week, this was lived out this week in France, wasn't it? We look at what happened, those uh, people who were murdered there in France this week, 
We stop and think about, you know, our minds always go back to Columbine, mass murders. Um, we go back to the uh, Nazis, extermination of the Jews. Um, how about the, the babies that are murdered every year through abortion? In fact, I read an interesting statistic. Listen to this. A baby born today is more likely to be murdered than an American soldier being killed in combat in World War II. That's how, that's how prevalent, either through abortion or suicide or, more, or murder. A baby born today is more likely to be murdered than an American soldier being killed in combat in World War II. The statistics. That's how rampant murder is today in our society. I was, I was thinking back to last year when those 41 children were killed in that school bombing in Syria on October 1st. I was thinking about the 25 other children that were killed in the school bombing in Syria on April 30th last year. 66 precious children, lives ripped from them by murderers. Murder is rampant, and, that, and this verse says their feet are swift to shed blood. And boy, if that's not a picture of the world today, I don't know what is. Every time you look at the paper, you come across that. Look at the, look at the next indictment against us. He said, In their paths are ruin and mercy, or misery. Their paths are full of ruin and mercy, mercy, devastation. He's saying the landscape behind them is littered with the remains of their violence. Abusive relationships, children beat, women raped and beaten, robbery, broken marriages. All of this leads to pain and despair. He says their path as man walks. Behind man is a path of misery. Behind man is a path of destruction. And all behind us as we walk our path is nothing but hurt and pain and ruin. Their paths are full of ruin and misery. The next one. He says... And the way of peace they have not known. The path of peace they have not known. Christ is the way of peace. The Bible says Christ is the what? He is the prince of what? Peace. But man chooses his own path. He chooses to reject Christ. He chooses pain and misery and sin rather than peace. And what's the motive behind all of this? What's the motive behind it all? Look at verse 18. What's the motive? There's no fear of God. No fear of God. Proverbs says, the beginning of wisdom is the what? Tell me. Fear of God. The beginning, the very beginning of wisdom is the fear of God. But we don't fear God. 
And when we think about fear of God, there's really a negative and a positive, isn't there? There's two, there's two parts of it. There's that reverential fear of God and all of his power, his holiness and glory. And I'm not even sure we have that today. Do we really, even as Christians, have a reverence for God, a real fear of God? Are we just going about our life and, oh, he's our friend, and I understand that. You know, the Bible says he's our friend. But is there that reverence, fear of God, of his power, and all for who he is, the creator of the universe? There's that reverence, that positive. And then there's the negative, the dread and the terror that really should protect us from sin. Because of the terror and the fear of what God does. I mean, do, do we even see, do we even think about it? Like we go back to the book of Acts and when Ananias and Sapphira lied and God struck them dead. You know, I think sometimes we don't think like that today. But, you know, man, God might strike me dead. We never think like that. That's not in God's economy today. After all, he's all grace. Listen, the same God that was in Acts is the same God that's here today. The Bible says God never changes. The problem for today is I don't think we really think about God like that. I think in America we have such a cheap brand of Christianity. It really doesn't cost us anything to be Christians here, does it? And so because it doesn't cost us anything, we really don't take it seriously, and I don't think we take God seriously. And I'm not just telling you that. I'm telling me that this morning too. Christians should live holy lives out of a love for God and a gratitude for his grace and blessing. But it often takes God giving hardship and pain to pry believers from sin, or it takes the prospect of punishment to keep them from getting into it in the first place. The Bible says in Hebrews, and we just went through this, that the Lord chastens those that he what? Loves. See, chastening, bringing pain and difficulties into our life when, when we're in sin. Robert Haldeman, in his commentary on Romans, said this, It's astonishing that men, while they acknowledge that there is a God, should act without any fear of his displeasure. Yet this is their character. They fear a worm of the dust like themselves, but disregard the Most High. They're more afraid of man than of God, of his anger, of his contempt, or his ridicule. The fear of man prevents them from doing many things from which they are not restrained by the fear of God. They love not his character, not rendering to it, and that veneration which is due. They respect not his authority. Such is the state of human nature while the heart is unchanged. That was his commentary. He said, listen, man is more afraid of his neighbor. Man is more afraid of himself. Man looks at someone else and is more afraid of them than he is of God. You know, the whole reason sometimes we as Christians don't witness is because what? We're afraid of what they'll think of us. But we're not afraid of what God, who's commanded us to share the good news of Jesus Christ, how he feels about it, do we? No. Why? Because, see, we fear man more than we fear God. Our whole motive is really wrapped up because we really don't fear God. 
So he goes through the indictment. He gives you, the, in a sense, the motive for why we are like we are. And he tells us that in Romans chapter 1, that man doesn't even want to retain God in his mind. He doesn't want to fear God. Then he gives you the defense in verse 19. So Paul's all done. Paul's called everybody to the witness stand. He's given the indictment. He's read it. He's, he's given it all. And he says, now I'm going to give man a chance to speak. In human court, when the charges have been made, the prisoner is given a chance to speak for himself. Sometimes, when he feels great, greatly the tremendous burden of his guilt and his sin, he will only bow his head and say, I have nothing to say. Now look, verse 19 says, Now we know that whatever the law says, it speak to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be stopped. See, God gave us the law not to give us salvation. The law cannot save. The law was given to us to show us that we are sinners. The law is our schoolmaster. The law cannot save you. Keeping all the laws of the Bible, keeping the Ten Commandments, you know, and all of those things aren't going to bring you to salvation. You can be the best person in the world. You can die and say, you're death saying, you know, I've done really good. I think I've kept every law. And you will still split hell wide open. And he is saying here that, listen, the law simply shows us that we are sinners. You know, you look at the Ten Commandments, the Ten Commandments, they're given to show us that we are sinners. The law can't save. And so when I begin to look at it, the law, Paul Paul says it, he says, if you have broken one, you've broken what? All of them. All of them. You know, in one of the Ten Commandments, thou shalt not covet. How many of us haven't coveted in here? Anybody? We all do. I covet Pastor John's height. He covets my looks. We know that. <laughs> Just kidding. We, we do. We, we covet, don't we? We covet. And so if I covet, I have what? I've committed adultery. I've done them all. And Paul's saying, listen, we, our mouths are stopped. When we really begin to look, we might think we have the right to speak, but really the evidence is so condemning. You don't have anything to say. When you stand before God, you're not going to be able to say, well, hold it, God. Hold it. Don't you know about my lineage? Don't you know I was circumcised? I was baptized. I was a member of Mount Calvary Church. You know, man, I was there every Sunday when the doors were open. you got to let me in. And God is going to say, be gone. I never knew you. The defense, we have no defense. Their mouths were stopped. And then look at the verdict. For by the works of the law, no human being will be justified. It's interesting that Paul keeps making this statement. And he's reminding them of this and over and over again because he knows those Pharisees and those Sadducees, those religious people, will always come back and certainly think, we're not the heathens, we're not the you know, moral people, we're the religious people. And so certainly, 
We're going to make it. And Paul reminds them again. Listen, for by the works of the law, no human being will be justified in the sight, in his sight, in God's sight. Since through law comes the knowledge of sin, the law simply shows you that you're a sinner and that you are condemned to die. Here's the verdict. Simple. The verdict is you're guilty. I'm guilty. The world is guilty. The babies, those cute little babies that are born are guilty of sin. Two reasons. We're guilty because we're sinners and because the law does not give us salvation. There's no salvation through God's law because sinful man is utterly incapable of keeping the law. So what do we learn from this this morning? What do we learn from this portion of Scripture that in these portions that we've been going through in Romans 1 and Romans 2 and Romans 3 that just keeps driving this point that we are sinners? Let me give you three things quickly as we close. First of all, sin is horrible. It's horrible. And so, so I want to ask you, Christian, does sin bother you? Does it, does it really bother you? Or do you just have a nonchalant attitude about it? I mean, look at your own life this week. Did you, did, were you in the Word? Did you pray? Did you watch more television than the time you spent in the Word? Did you, did you do more electronics than you did prayer and talking to God? Does that even bother you? Are you guilty about it? Does it bother you when you say negative things about people? Does it bother you? And we could go on and on and on and on. Because there are innumerable sins. But does it bother you? Does it really bother you? Do you really see the horribleness of sin and how destructive it is to families and what it does? Sin is horrible. Listen to this description of sin written in 1877. It is a debt, a burden, a thief, a sickness, a leprosy, a plague, a poison, a serpent, a sting. Everything that man hates it is. A load of curses, a calamities beneath whose crushing most intolerable pressure the whole creation groaneth. Who is the hoary sexton that digs man a grave? Who is the painted temptress that steals his virtue? Who is the murderess that destroys her life, his life? Who is the sorcerer that first deceives and then damns his soul? Sin. Who with icy breath blights the fair blossoms of youth? Who breaks the heart of parents? Who brings old men's gray hair with sorrow to their grave? Sin. Who by more hideous metamorphosis than sin has fancied changed gentle children into vipers, tender mothers into monsters, and their fathers into worse than Herod's, the murders of their own innocent sin? Who casts the apple of discord on household hearts? Who lights the torch of war? Who bears its blazing or terrible lands? Who by division in the church rends Christ's seamless robe? Sin. 
Who is the Delilah that sings the Nazarite asleep and delivers up the strength of God into the hands of the uncircumcised? Who with winning smiles on her face, honey, honey, flattery on her tongue, stands in the door to offer the sacred rites of hospitality and with suspicious sleep, treacherously pierces our temple with a nail? What fair siren is those who, seated on a rock by the deadly pool, smiles to deceive, sings to lure, kisses to betray, and flings her arms around our neck to leap with us unto perdition? Sin, who turns the soft and gentleness heart to stone, who hurls reason from her lofty throne and impels sinners, mad as garret and swine, down the precious into a lake of fire. Sin. 1877, he nailed it, didn't he? He nailed how horrible sin is. And then we're told today, I just read an article, that we don't want it, we don't, in churches, we don't want to stand up and tell people they're sinners because we don't want to offend them. Oh my, church, when we stop telling people they're sinners, we might as well close the doors. Really, if Pastor John and I can't get up here and preach against sin, let's just go home today. Because if we can't get man to see they're lost, how can we get them to see they have a need? And as Christians, if we, we've got to constantly be reminded how horrible sin is and how destructive it is. And some of you sit here today just like I know how it tears apart our families. And then we'll sit in front of a television set and laugh at it. Where are we, Christians? Where are we today? Do we see the horribleness of sin? Does it bother us? We want to read this portion of Scripture and weep over sin. It's the whole reason that Jesus went to the cross. It's the whole reason for the good news that Pastor John is going to get to in two weeks, and I can't wait to hear it because I hate sin. I hate what it does to me. I hate what it does to my family. I hate what it does to you. Sin, it's so horrible. Do we get it? This scripture supports the doctrine of total depravity. If there's ever a portion of scripture that shares that man is totally depraved and there's nothing good about it at all, it's this portion here. We believe in that doctrine here at Mount Calvary Church. Man is born totally depraved. And this scripture supports it. And then lastly... It teaches us about the gospel and the Christian life. See, man does not need a reformation. Man needs a transformation. Reforming isn't going to get you anywhere. What we need is a transformation of the heart. Our whole series is called A Heart Change, isn't it? The whole series on Romans, a heart change. And the only way it's going to happen is through transformation, through salvation. And then the last thing is we live in the inauguration of Christ's kingdom. We are waiting for the consummation to come. When we preach the gospel, we must help people to understand that our first and ultimate problem as fallen human beings is not that we do not have what we need or want, but that a rebellion against God and are in need of forgiveness, righteousness, and reconciliation. We are under condemnation without Christ. Make no mistake about it, and do not allow his 
his profound patience to make a practical atheist of you. Also, be wary of those who suggest that God solves all your problems in the here and now, or that he wants us to be financially successful. This is not the gospel. It's a cheap substitute. You hear it all the time today. To be sure, our Father does not provide for his children, and there is coming a day when we will glorify his name by doing away with our pain, our grief, and our struggles, but that day is not now. It's not now. Listen, just today, if you're not saved and you come to know Jesus Christ as your Savior, that doesn't mean all your problems are going to be gone. It doesn't mean you're going to be financially free and all those things that, you know, prosperity gospel preaches at us today. Our present experience is a life between the times. We live in the period of the inauguration of his kingdom, but we must wait patiently for the consummation to come in his return. Thus, our present experience, while roaded in deep joy, is not without sorrow, pain, and suffering. We must take up our cross and die daily. Listen, you know why we're in the in-between time? You know, we, we have the announce of the kingdom, but we're going to see the fulfillment of the kingdom. And when the fulfillment of the kingdom comes, you know what? Sin is going to be done away with. I don't know about you, but I can't wait to die. <laughs> That's a horrible statement. You know why? Because that minute I die, I'm no longer going to have to struggle with what I hate so much, sin. So when I die, don't come before in front of my funeral and say, oh, you know, we really liked him here at Mount Calvary. I hope to say he was a good pastor, and, you know. Don't come and say all that stuff. Come in front and say, he is a lucky guy. He's not struggling with sin anymore. And give my wife money. Just those two things. Okay? Just those two things I ask. No. The reality of it is this. Sin is horrible. Someday, though, we're going to be in heaven, and we're not going to struggle with it anymore. I look forward to it. Let's pray. Maybe you're here today, and you'd say, Dick, man, it's like you talked about me today. It's like you talked about me. Maybe today, maybe today, you're not sure that if you died, you'd go to heaven. Maybe you're sitting here today and say, you know what? I don't know Jesus Christ as my Savior. See, here's the good news, and I'll give it to you real quick. We're going to hear a lot about it in these weeks and months to come. Here's the good news. God looked down from heaven. He saw you were a sinner. He saw you were condemned to die and spend eternity in hell. He saw that. And you know what? He loved you so much that he sent his son, Jesus, to come and to live for 33 years and then to die on the cross. And when Jesus died on that cross, he took every sin you have committed, every sin you will commit, and he took them upon himself. He died for you. So that all you had to do was come to that point and say, Lord, I am a sinner. I am a sinner. I am lost. I am on my way to hell. But today, I believe that you died for me. 
I believe that you were buried and you rose again for me, and I'm putting my faith and trust in you and you alone to get me into heaven and to escape the punishment of hell. If you're here today and say, you know what, I've never done that. Would you pray for me, Dick? Would you pray that today maybe I'll make that decision? No one's looking around, but I want to pray. I won't call you by name, but I want to pray for you. Would you just slip up your hand, slip it back down so I can pray for you? Say, I'm not sure I'm going to heaven, but today I want to make that decision to know for sure. Christian, can I ask you something this morning? Does sin bother you? Really, does it? Would you this morning, by a raised hand, say, hey, listen, I need to be more serious about dealing with sin in my life. I need to see it as horrible. God's convicted me this morning. I want to pray for you. Would you slip up your hand? Thank you. Thank you. Amen. Amen. Appreciate your honesty today. Thank you. Father, thank you for your precious word. Lord, Romans 3, 9 through 20 is such a perfect picture of human, humanity. Such a perfect picture of us, even sometimes after our salvation. Lord, thank you. When we come to know Jesus Christ as our Savior, even though we might sin on occasion, the Bible says, therefore, there is now no condemnation. And it is certainly great, even though we struggle with sin, it is great to know that we are not condemned. Father, we look forward to that day when, we'll, when you set up your and no longer will we struggle with sin. It's in the name of Christ we pray. Amen.